Chapter One of Religio Medici. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Religio Medici, Part One, Section One. For my religion, though there be several circumstances that might persuade the world I have none at all, as the general scandal of my profession, the natural course of my studies, the indifferency of my behaviour and discourse in matters of religion, neither violently defending one, nor with that common ardour and contention opposing another. Yet in despite hereof, I dare without usurpation assume the honourable style of a Christian, not that I merely owe this title to the font, my education, or the clime wherein I was born, as being bred up either to confirm those principles my parents instilled into my understanding, or by a general consent proceed in the religion of my country, but having in my riper years and confirmed judgment seen and examined all, I found myself obliged, by the principles of grace and the law of mine own reason, to embrace no other name but this. Neither doth herein my zeal so far make me forget the general charity I owe unto humanity, as rather to hate than pity Turks, infidels, and, what is worse, Jews, rather contenting myself to enjoy that happy style than maligning those who refuse so glorious a title. Section 2 but because the name of a Christian is become too general to express our faith, there being a geography of religion as well as lands, and every clime distinguished not only by their laws and limits, but circumscribed by their doctrines and rules of faith, to be particular, I am of that reformed new-caste religion, wherein I dislike nothing but the name. Of the same belief our Saviour taught, the apostles disseminated, the fathers authorised, and the martyrs confirmed. But by the sinister ends of princes, the ambition and avarice of prelates, and the fatal corruption of times, so decayed, impaired, and fallen from its native beauty, that it required the careful and charitable hands of these times to restore it to its primitive integrity. Now, the accidental occasion whereupon, the slender means whereby, the low and abject condition of the person by whom so good a work was set on foot, which in our adversaries beget contempt and scorn, fills me with wonder, and is the very same objection the insolent pagans first cast at Christ and his disciples. Section 3 Yet have I not so shaken hands with those desperate resolutions, who had rather venture at large their decayed bottom, than bring her in to be new-trimmed in the dock, who had rather promiscuously retain all than abridge any, and obstinately be what they are than what they have been, as to stand in diameter and sword's point with them. We have reformed from them, not against them, for, omitting those improperations and terms of scurrility betwixt us, which only difference our affections and not our cause, there is between us one common name and appellation, one faith and necessary body of principles common to us both, 
and therefore I am not scrupulous to converse and live with them, to enter their churches in defect of ours, and either pray with them or for them. I could never perceive any rational consequences from those many texts which prohibit the children of Israel to pollute themselves with the temples of the heathens. We being all Christians, and not divided by such detested impieties as might profane our prayers, or the place wherein we make them, or that a resolved conscience may not adore her Creator anywhere, especially in places devoted to his service. If their devotions offend him, mine may please him. If theirs profane it, mine may hallow it. Holy water and crucifix, dangerous to the common people, deceive not my judgment, nor abuse my devotion at all. I am, I confess, naturally inclined to that which misguided zeal terms superstition. My common conversation I do acknowledge austere, my behaviour full of rigour, sometimes not without morosity. Yet at my devotion I love to use the civility of my knee, my hat and hand, with all those outward and sensible motions, which may express or promote my invisible devotion. I should violate my own arm rather than a church, nor willingly deface the name of saint or martyr. At the sight of a cross or crucifix, I can dispense with my hat, but scarce with the thought or memory of my Saviour. I cannot laugh at, but rather pity, the fruitless journeys of pilgrims, or contemn the miserable condition of friars, for though misplaced in circumstances, there is something in it of devotion. I could never hear the Ave Mary bell, a church bell that tolls every day at six and twelve of the clock, at the hearing whereof every one, in what place soever, either of house or street, betakes himself to his prayer, which is commonly directed to the Virgin, without an elevation, or think it a sufficient warrant, because they erred in one circumstance, for me to err in all, that is, in silence and dumb contempt. Whilst therefore they direct their devotions to her, I offered mine to God, and rectify the errors of their prayers by rightly ordering mine own. At a solemn procession, I have wept abundantly, while my consorts, blind with opposition and prejudice, have fallen into an excess of scorn and laughter. There are questionless, both in Greek, Roman, and African churches, solemnities and ceremonies, whereof the wiser zeals do make a Christian use, and stand condemned by us, not as evil in themselves, but as allurements and baits of superstition, to those vulgar heads that look asquint on the face of truth, and those unstable judgments, that cannot resist in the narrow point and centre of virtue, without a reel or stagger to the circumference. Section 4 As there were many reformers, so likewise many reformations, every country proceeding in a particular way and method, according as their national interest, together with their constitution and clime, inclined them, some angrily and with extremity, others calmly and with mediocrity, not rending, but easily dividing the community, and leaving an honest possibility of a reconciliation, which, though peaceable spirits do desire, and may conceive that revolution of time and the mercies of God may effect, yet that judgment that shall consider the present antipathies between the two extremes, their contrarieties in condition, affection and opinion, 
may with the same hopes expect a union in the poles of heaven. Section 5 But to difference myself nearer, and draw into a lesser circle, there is no church whose every part so squares unto my conscience, whose articles, constitutions, and customs seem so consonant unto reason, and, as it were, framed to my particular devotion, as this whereof I hold my belief, the Church of England, to whose faith I am a sworn subject, and therefore in a double obligation, subscribe unto her articles, and endeavour to observe her constitutions. Whatsoever is beyond, as points indifferent, I observe, according to the rules of my private reason, or the humour and fashion of my devotion. Neither believing this because Luther affirmed it, nor disproving that, because Calvin hath disavouched it. I condemn not all things in the Council of Trent, nor approve all in the Synod of Dort. In brief, where the scripture is silent, the church is my text. Where that speaks, tis but my comment. Where there is a joint silence of both, I borrow not the rules of my religion from Rome or Geneva, but from the dictates of my own reason. It is an unjust scandal of our adversaries, and a gross error in ourselves, to compute the nativity of our religion from Henry the Eighth, who, though he rejected the Pope, refused not the faith of Rome, and effected no more than what his own predecessors desired and essayed in ages past. And it was conceived the state of Venice would have attempted in our days. It is as uncharitable a point in us to fall upon those popular scurrilities and opprobrious scoffs of the Bishop of Rome, to whom, as a temporal prince, we owe the duty of good language. I confess there is a cause of passion between us. By his sentence I stand excommunicated. Heretic is the best language he affords me, yet can no ear witness I ever returned to him the name of Antichrist, man of sin, or whore of Babylon. It is the method of charity to suffer without reaction, those usual satires and invectives of the pulpit may perchance produce a good effect on the vulgar, whose ears are opener to rhetoric than logic, yet do they in no wise confirm the faith of wiser believers, who know that a good cause needs not be pardoned by passion, but can sustain itself upon a temperate dispute. Section 6 I could never divide myself from any man upon the difference of an opinion, or be angry with his judgment for not agreeing with me in that from which, perhaps, within a few days, I should dissent myself. I have no genius to disputes in religion, and have often thought it wisdom to decline them, especially upon a disadvantage, or when the cause of truth might suffer in the weakness of my patronage. Where we desire to be informed, tis good to contest with men above ourselves, but to confirm and establish our opinions— "'Tis best to argue with judgments below our own, "'that the frequent spoils and victories over their reasons "'may settle in ourselves an esteem and confirmed opinion of our own. "'Every man is not a proper champion for truth, "'nor fit to take up the gauntlet in the cause of verity. "'Many, from the ignorance of these maxims, "'and an inconsiderate zeal unto truth, "'have too rashly charged the troops of error, "'and remain as trophies unto the enemies of truth.' A man may be in as just possession of truth as of a city, and yet be forced to surrender. Tis therefore far better to enjoy her with peace than to hazard her on a battle. If, therefore, there rise any doubts in my way, I do forget them, 
or at least defer them, till my better settled judgment and more manly reason be able to resolve them. For I perceive every man's own reason is his best Oedipus, and will, upon a reasonable truce, find a way to loose those bonds wherewith the subtleties of error have enchained our more flexible and tender judgments. In philosophy, where truth seems double-faced, there is no man more paradoxical than myself, but in divinity I love to keep the road, and though not in an implicit, yet an humble faith, follow the great wheel of the church, by which I move, not reserving any proper poles or motion from the epicycle of my own brain. By this means I have no gap for heresy, schisms, or errors, of which at present, I hope, I shall not injure truth to say, I have no taint or tincture. I must confess my greener studies have been polluted with two or three, not any begotten in the latter centuries, but old and obsolete, such as could never have been revived, but by such extravagant and irregular heads as mine. For indeed heresies perish not with their authors, but like the river Arethusa, though they lose their currents in one place, they rise up again in another. One general council is not able to extirpate one single heresy. It may be cancelled for the present, but revolution of time, and the like aspects from heaven, will restore it, when it will flourish, till it be condemned again. For, as though there were metempsychosis, and the soul of one man passed into another, opinions do find, after certain revolutions, men and minds like those that first begat them. To see ourselves again, we need not look for Plato's year, a revolution of certain thousand years, when all things should return unto their former estate, and he be teaching again in his school, as when he delivered this opinion. Every man is not only himself. There have been many Diogenes, and as many Timons, though but few of that name. Men are lived over again. The world is now as it was in ages past. There was none then, but there hath been some one since, that parallels him, and is, as it were, his revived self. Section 7. Now the first of mine was that of the Arabians, that the souls of men perished with their bodies, but should yet be raised again at the last day. Not that I did absolutely conceive a mortality of the soul, but, if that were which faith, not philosophy, hath yet thoroughly disproved, and that both entered the grave together, yet I held the same conceit thereof, that we all do of the body, that it rise again. Surely it is but the merits of our unworthy natures, if we sleep in darkness until the last alarm. A serious reflex upon my own unworthiness did make me backward from challenging this prerogative of my soul. So that I might enjoy my Saviour at the last, I could with patience be nothing almost unto eternity. The second was that of Oregon, that God would not persist in his vengeance for ever, but after a definite time of his wrath, would release the damned souls from torture, which error I fell into upon a serious contemplation of the great attribute of God, his mercy, and did a little cherish it in myself, because I found therein no malice, and a ready weight to sway me from the other extreme of despair, whereunto melancholy and contemplative natures are too easily disposed. A third there is, which I did never positively maintain or practice, but have often wished it had been consonant to truth, and not offensive to my religion and that is the prayer for the dead, whereunto I was inclined from some charitable inducements, whereby I could scarce contain my prayers for a friend at the ringing of a bell, or behold his corpse without an orison for his soul. 
"'Twas a good way, methought, to be remembered by posterity, and far more noble than a history. These opinions I never maintained with pertinacity, or endeavoured to inveigle any man's belief unto mine, nor so much as ever revealed or disputed them with my dearest friends, by which means I neither propagated them in others, nor confirmed them in myself, but, suffering them to flame upon their own substance, without addition of new fuel, they went out insensibly of themselves. Therefore these opinions, though condemned by lawful counsels, were not heresies in me, but bare errors, and single lapses of my understanding, without a joint depravity of my will. Those have not only depraved understandings, but diseased affections, which cannot enjoy a singularity without a heresy, or be the author of an opinion, without they be of a sect also. This was the villainy of the first schism of Lucifer, who was not content to err alone, but drew into his faction many legions, and upon this experience he tempted only Eve, well understanding the communicable nature of sin, and that to deceive but one was tacitly and upon consequence to delude them both. Section 8 That heresies should arise, we have the prophecy of Christ, but that old ones should be abolished, we hold no prediction. That there must be heresies is true, not only in our church, but also in any other. Even in the doctrines heretical, there will be super-heresies. And Arians, not only divided from the church, but also among themselves. For heads that are disposed unto schism, and complexionally propensed to innovation, are naturally indisposed for a community, nor will be ever confined unto the order or economy of one body. And therefore, when they separate from others, they knit but loosely among themselves, nor contented with a general breach or dichotomy with their church, do subdivide and mince themselves almost into atoms. Tis true that men of singular parts and humours have not been free from singular opinions and conceits in all ages, retaining something not only beside the opinion of his own church or any other, but also any particular author, which notwithstanding a sober judgment may do without offence or heresy. For there is yet, after all the decrees of councils, and the niceties of the schools, many things, untouched, unimagined, wherein the liberty of an honest reason may play and expatiate with security, and far without the circle of a heresy. Section 9. As for those wingy mysteries in divinity, and airy subtleties in religion, which have unhinged the brains of better heads, they never stretch the pure mater of mine. Methinks there be not impossibilities enough in religion for an active faith, the deepest mysteries ours contains have not only been illustrated, but maintained, by syllogism and the rule of reason. I love to lose myself in a mystery, to pursue my reason to an O oh, altitudo. Tis my solitary recreation to pose my apprehension with those involved enigmas and riddles of the Trinity, with incarnation and resurrection. I can answer all the objections of Satan and my rebellious reason with that odd resolution I learned of Tertullian. Certum es quia impossibile est. I desire to exercise my faith in the difficultest point, for to credit ordinary and visible objects is not faith, but persuasion. Some believe the better for seeing Christ's sepulchre, and when they have seen the Red Sea, doubt not of the miracle. Now, contrarily, I bless myself and am thankful that I lived not in the days of miracles, that I never saw Christ nor his disciples, I would not have been one of those Israelites that passed the Red Sea, nor one of Christ's patients, on whom he wrought his wonders. Then had my faith been thrust upon me, 
nor should I enjoy that greater blessing pronounced to all that believe and saw not. Tis an easy and necessary belief to credit what our eye and sense hath examined. I believe he was dead and buried and rose again, and desire to see him in his glory, rather than to contemplate him in his cenotaph or sepulchre. Nor is this much to believe, as we have reason, we owe this faith unto history. They only had the advantage of a bold and noble faith who lived before his coming, who, upon obscure prophecies and mystical types, could raise a belief and expect apparent impossibilities. Section 10. Tis true there is an edge in all firm belief, and with an easy metaphor we may say the sword of faith, but in these obscurities I rather use it in the adjunct the apostle gives it, a buckler, under which I conceive a wary combatant may lie invulnerable. Since I was of understanding to know that we knew nothing, my reason hath been more pliable to the will of faith. I am now content to understand a mystery, without a rigid definition, in an easy and platonic description. That allegorical description of Hermes, Sphera cuius centrum ubique circumferentia nullibi, pleaseth me beyond all the metaphysical definitions of divines. Where I cannot satisfy my reason, I love to humour my fancy. I had as lief you tell me that anima est, angelus hominis est corpus dei, as lux est umbra dei, as actus perspicui. Where there is an obscurity too deep for our reason, tis good to sit down with a description, periphrasis or adumbration, for by acquainting our reason how unable it is to display the visible and obvious effects of nature, it becomes more humble and submissive unto the subtleties of faith, and thus I teach my haggard and unreclaimed reason to stoop unto the lure of faith. I believe there was already a tree, whose faith our unhappy parents tasted, though, in the same chapter when God forbids it, tis positively said, the plants of the field were not yet grown, for God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. I believe that the serpent, if we shall literally understand it, from his proper form and figure, made his motion on his belly before the curse. I find the trial of the pucillage and virginity of women, which God ordained the Jews, is very fallible. Experience in history informs me that not only many particular women, but likewise whole nations, have escaped the curse of childbirth, which God seems to pronounce upon the whole sex. Yet do I believe that all this is true, which, indeed, my reason would persuade me to be false. And this, I think, is no vulgar part of faith, to believe a thing not only above, but contrary to reason, and against the arguments of our proper senses. Section 11. In my solitary and retired imagination, neque enim cum porticus aut me lectulus acapit desum mihi, I remember I am not alone, and therefore forget not to contemplate him and his attributes, who is ever with me, especially those two mighty ones, his wisdom and eternity. With the one I recreate, with the other I confound my understanding. For who can speak of eternity without a solecism, or think thereof without an ecstasy? Time we may comprehend. Tis but five days elder than ourselves, and hath the same horoscope with the world. But to retire so far back as to apprehend a beginning, to give such an infinite start forwards as to conceive an end, in an essence that we affirm hath neither the one nor the other, it puts my reason to St. Paul's sanctuary. My philosophy dares not say the angels can do it. God hath not made a creature that can comprehend him. Tis a privilege of his own nature. I am that I am was his own definition unto Moses, and was a short one to confound mortality.
that durst question God, or ask him what he was. Indeed, he only is. All others have and shall be. But in eternity there is no distinction of tenses, and therefore that terrible term predestination, which hath troubled so many weak heads to conceive, and the wisest to explain, is, in respect to God, no prescious determination of our estates to come, but a definitive blast of his will already fulfilled, and at the instant that he first decreed it. For, to his eternity, which is indivisible and altogether, the last trump is already sounded, the reprobates in the flame, and the blessed in Abraham's bosom. St. Peter speaks modestly when he saith, A thousand years to God are but as one day. For, to speak like a philosopher, those continued instances of time, which flow into a thousand years, make not to him one moment. What to us is to come, to his eternity, is present, his whole duration being but one permanent point, without succession, parts, flux, or division. Section 12. There is no attribute that adds more difficulty to the mystery of the Trinity, where, though in a relative way of father and son, we must deny a priority. I wonder how Aristotle could conceive the world eternal, or how he could make good two eternities. His similitude of a triangle comprehended in a square doth somewhat illustrate the trinity of our souls, and that the triple unity of God. For there is in us not three, but a trinity of souls, because there is in us, if not three distinct souls, yet differing faculties, that can and do subsist apart in different subjects, and yet in us are thus united as to make but one soul in substance. If one soul were so perfect as to inform three distinct bodies, that were a pretty trinity. Conceive the distinct number of three, not divided nor separated by the intellect, but actually comprehended in its unity, and that a perfect trinity. I have often admired the mystical way of Pythagoras, and the secret magic of numbers. Beware of philosophy is a precept not to be received in too large a sense, for in this mass of nature there is a set of things that carry in their front, though not in capital letters, yet in stenography and short characters, something of divinity, which to wiser reasons serve as luminaries in the abyss of knowledge, and to judicious beliefs, as scales and roundels to mount the pinnacles and highest pieces of divinity. The severe school shall never laugh me out of the philosophy of Hermes, that this visible world is but a picture of the invisible wherein, as in a portrait, things are not truly, but in equivocal shapes, and as they counterfeit some real substance in that invisible fabric. Section 13 The other attribute, wherewith I recreate my devotion, is his wisdom, in which I am happy, and for the contemplation of this only do not repent me that I was bred in the way of study. The advantage I have therein is an ample recompense for all my endeavours in what part of knowledge soever. Wisdom is his most beauteous attribute. No man can attain unto it, yet Solomon pleased God when he desired it. He is wise because he knows all things, and he knoweth all things because he made them all. But his greatest knowledge is in comprehending that he made not, that is, himself. And this is also the greatest knowledge in man. For this do I honour my own profession, 
and embraced the counsel even of the devil himself. Had he read such a lecture in paradise as he did at Delphos, nosce te ipsum, we had better known ourselves, nor had we stood in fear to know him. I know God is wise in all, wonderful in what we conceive, but far more in what we comprehend not. For we behold him but a squint, upon reflex or shadow. Our understanding is dimmer than Moses' eye. We are ignorant of the back parts or lower side of his divinity. Therefore, to pry into the maze of his counsels is not only folly in man, but presumption even in angels. Like us, they are his servants, not his senators. He holds no counsel, but that mystical one of the Trinity, wherein, though there be three persons, there is but one mind that decrees without contradiction, nor needs he any. His actions are not begot with deliberation. His wisdom naturally knows what's best. His intellect stands ready fraught with the superlative and purest ideas of goodness. Consultations and election, which are two motions in us, make but one in him, his action springing from his power at the first touch of his will. These are contemplations metaphysical. My humble speculations have another method, and are content to trace and discover those expressions he hath left in his creatures, and the obvious effects of nature. There is no danger to profound these mysteries, no sanctum sanctorum in philosophy. The world was made to be inhabited by beasts, but studied and contemplated by man. Tis the debt of our reason we owe unto God, and the homage we pay for not being beasts. Without this, the world is still as though it had not been, or as it was before the sixth day, when as yet there was not a creature that could conceive or say there was a world. The wisdom of God receives more honour from those vulgar heads that rudely stare about, and with a gross rusticity admire his works. Those highly magnify him, whose judicious inquiry into his acts, and deliberate research into his creatures, return the duty of a devout and learned admiration. Therefore, search while thou wilt, and let thy reason go, to ransom truth, e'en to the abyss below. Rally the scattered causes, and that line which nature twists, be able to untwine. It is thy Maker's will, for unto none, but unto reason can he e'er be known. The devils do know thee, but those damned meteors build not thy glory, but confound thy creatures. Teach my endeavours so thy works to read, that learning them in thee I may proceed. Give thou my reason that instructive flight, whose weary wings may on thy hands still light. Teach me to soar aloft yet ever so, when near the sun, to stoop again below. Thus shall my humble feathers safely hover, and though near earth, more than the heavens discover. And then at last, when homeward I shall drive, rich with the spoils of nature to my hive, there will I sit, 
like that industrious fly, buzzing thy praises, which shall never die, till death abrupts them, and succeeding glory, bid me go on, in a more lasting story. And this is almost all wherein an humble creature may endeavour to requite, and some way to retribute unto his Creator. For if not he that saith, Lord, Lord, but he that doth the will of the Father, shall be saved, certainly our wills must be our performances, and our intents make out our actions. Otherwise, our pious labours shall find anxiety in our graves, and our best endeavours not hope, but fear a resurrection.